And we're back for another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Ian Mendes alongside Down Goes Brown, Sean McIndoo. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to go heavy into the Tom Wilson New York Rangers drama from this week. We'll discuss how the league handled the situation and what the fallout might be from an interesting and some would say ugly night at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday in Granger Things, Jesse Granger. We'll talk about the futures market and how it stacks up against the analytics of our own Dom Luschichin. We'll answer some mailbag questions, including uh, something about the 2-3-2 format that you see in the NBA. Would that ever work and be better in the NHL? And this week in hockey history touches on a great anniversary between Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin and Sean Alex Ovechkin's Washington Capitals. Speaking of them front and center you know usually when we set up the podcast we 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 kind of go through like let's hit on this and this and this and we try to go super wide ranging touching on everything i mean honestly and there's some great stories in the nhl this week from uh michael housey with the buffalo sabers to uh david backus going back to st louis and all these wonderful stories and yet it seems like the entire landscape of the nhl has just been overshadowed by tom wilson v the new york rangers yep this is this is the tom wilson experience this is what he does and what he brings to the table and as soon as that that stuff started going down monday night you you sort of knew how the week would play out and uh they they they've thrown us some curveballs i'll give them credit for that uh but uh it's yeah it's it's a wild week and uh it's the, the the Capitals and the Rangers are just kind of sucking all the oxygen out of the room for everybody else. Yeah, and, and, and where I feel really bad is like that TJ Oshie hat trick uh, should have been or would have been in normal circumstances would have been the dominant storyline, a heartwarming storyline, and yet it feels like this anecdotal footnote to what was going on on the ice on on Wednesday in in New York. Yeah, it, and it's it, it'll be interesting to see how it's remembered. Uh, I honestly don't know. I, I've seen some people say that no one's even going to remember the G.J. Oshie thing. It's, it's all going to be about the fights. I'm not convinced of that. I mean, the, the the fights were obviously a big part of the story, but they got everything out of the way in the first five minutes of the game. And, uh, you know, the Oshie thing was, uh, uh, I mean, it was it was a an obvious contrast to, to the rest of the night. But I do think that'll stick with people. I, I think people will remember it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, it, this might be one of those things where a couple years from now, you look back and you say, like, yeah, remember that T.J. Oshie hat trick? That was great. That was really that was really a nice moment. Remember that night that the Rangers and the Capitals had all those crazy fights in the first few minutes? Ah, that was wild. And then someone will be like, yeah, that was the same game. You'll be like, no way. Was that really the same game? And yeah, it'll it'll turn out to be. I don't know. They could I could see it going like that. But that was a really great moment and a great story and and i hope we don't lose sight of it yeah and you know i think what's interesting and you can usually tell if the hockey world has uh, its collective attention on one game by looking at social media right and so listen on wednesday night i'm in ottawa covering the montreal canadians ottawa senators game and i felt like i was one of the only people on the in the country watching that game it felt like the entire hockey world was focused on uh, madison square garden and uh, the caps and the rangers and it brings up an interesting question doesn't it sean because you have these two camps the this is terrible for the game and then on the other hand the counter argument is well look how many people are paying attention so i i don't know where i i, I hate being one of these it's this or that people i think you know me well enough i'm pretty much I try to look at all angles, try to live in the gray area, but it's hard to do. And, and Tom Wilson makes it almost impossible for us to live in the gray area. But I want to know what you think of the people that said, uh, look how many people tuned into the game on Wednesday. Look at how many eyeballs. Look at the, dis- uh, the traction in the discussion. Guys, this isn't bad for the game. What do we say to that argument? Yeah, I mean, th- this is an extension of the, the argument that's been around forever when it comes to, to fighting. Cause yeah, you and I are both in the same age group. We grew up in the eighties where, you know, when, when did the, the height of Don Cherry and Rock'em Sock'em and, and all of that. And there were people then saying this uh, fighting is bad. It's, it's wrong. It, it shouldn't be part of the game. And then the argument back then was, you know, do you ever see anybody sitting down during a hockey fight? Do you ever see anybody get up and leave? No, you never do. It's the loudest the building is on any given night. And, 
uh, this this kind of becomes an extension of that. Uh, I I would say this. Yes, it brought a lot of attention to the league, uh, and uh, certainly this is a league that could use some attention. I think there's a difference between bringing in viewers and bringing in new fans. And what this league needs is new fans. And if they serve up a sideshow and it puts a lot of eyeballs on the product, but none of those viewers stick around and become fans, then what have you really gained? You, you, you know, yeah, maybe you, maybe you spike a, a slightly higher number than you normally would uh, in the ratings, but that that's, that's not something that is going to be meaningful unless some of those people become fans and, and become, you know, end up watching more than they would. And I, uh, what I would be interested to see is, yeah, everybody, everybody was talking about this game, but what happened after the first five minutes when the fights died down, when the bad blood went away, did people stick with it and go, okay, well, you know, now that I'm here, I was here for the fights, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of into this game now. I'm sort of enjoying the product I'm seeing. Or did they watch a pretty typical low-scoring NHL game uh, and sit there and go, you know what? Geez, once once these guys stop punching each other, this this wasn't really for me. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll look back and say, yeah, that 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 moment did create some new fans. Uh, some big rivalries have done that. I know there's a lot of people who will say, I fell in love with hockey during the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry. That's what got me. Um, I don't think that this is the same level of stuff. The, the Red Wings and Avalanche had a bunch of Hall of Famers and they were playing high stakes and it was the playoffs and, and all sorts of stuff. This wasn't that. And I don't think this uh, this ultimately is going to translate to a to any kind of boost for the league. But we'll see. We, we don't know until we know. Uh, you know, here's what I find fascinating about the sports landscape, right? On one hand, we have so much more knowledge about concussions and kind of maybe some of the dangers of fighting that we didn't have. When we were kids in the 80s and 90s, we didn't know. We didn't think about concussions, right? So on one hand, we're much more informed about it. And so you see this sort of people even in our age group are like, you know, fighting probably should should be minimized, right? At the same time, Sean, what I find really fascinating is that when you look at the larger sports landscape, there's this seemingly unsatiable appetite for the UFC at, at a time in which mm -hmm. uh, people seem to be on one hand saying, you know, let's get rid of violence in hockey. There's this other subset or like watch the numbers of UFC pay-per-views. It, it's through the roof. Like I have a hard time reconciling the two, the two entities. And I wonder if there's going to be some people who love that element of, of violence in sports that will be drawn to something like Wednesday night at, at Madison square garden. Look, I mean, Fighting is a part of the entertainment package for the NHL, whether we like it or not, whether we want it to be or not. And I feel like you can say that and at the same time say, we shouldn't have it in the game or we should have it a lot less because, as you said, we understand the risks and we understand the dangers here. And it's uh, I, I, I don't have any issue and I don't think there's any conflict in saying, I want there to be less fighting in the NHL. But also, man, the NHL was a lot more fun when we didn't know all this stuff and there was more fighting and you had the bad blood and the rivalries. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think anyone's being a hypocrite if they say, I love the Red Wings avalanche rivalry. That was absolutely the best. But also, I don't want to see it happen now. And, and you're right. I mean, this is there's you, you look at the biggest sports and I'm using the term loosely. Uh, sports events of this year in terms of attention and buzz, especially among a younger audience, it's some idiot YouTuber doing yeah, boxing exactly. matches and people to like, tune in by the millions and pay money to see, cause they want to see this guy get his lights knocked out. Uh, you know, th this has always been, I mean, you don't even, it doesn't even have to be sports, you know, go to any movie. All right. You know what, what movies do well, the ones with lots of sensitive dialogue or the ones where stuff blows up. You know, th this is we're wired for conflict and we're wired for, you know, for violence or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. And there is an element for a lot of us. It's not everybody, but for a lot of us where that is part of the entertainment package. And I, I, you know, I've struggled with this a little bit over the years because look, I don't want to see us go back to the Norris division days. We can't have bench clearing brawls anymore. We shouldn't have 
enforcers whose only job is to go out and fight 40 times a year and get punched in the face. I, I, I don't see how anybody could look at everything we know about that era now and ever want it to come back. And at the same time, it was fun as hell to be a fan during that era for the NHL. And that is missing from today's game. I don't know how you reconcile that. Um, but I don't think the answer is just to pretend that one or the other of those things isn't true. Okay. As you talk about feeling conflicted, can I ask you a question? I, I don't even know if I've ever had this conversation with you. Your Twitter handle is down goes Brown. A lot of people know you as down goes Brown because that's your Twitter handle. And, but that the Genesis of that is from a fight back in the day in the Norris division, yeah. right? Where Rob, Rob Brown gets knocked out, uh, in a fight with the, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you ever wrestle with that yourself and think, uh, maybe I should change my Twitter handle. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it's, uh, th this was a guy, it wasn't just a fight. This was a guy getting KO'd at center ice and getting left lying there. And, you know, if we saw that today, uh, you, you'd think, oh my God, is he, is he okay? Is this, you know, why, what was that fight even about? How do, how was this allowed to happen? And back then we thought it was great. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, I, I, I don't, I, 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 still tend to be more on maybe the old school side of things than at least some, some of my, my fellow colleagues in the media. Um, but I've, I, I, you know, I, I push back on a lot of it and I've said, Hey, the NHL needs to fix this or they needs to get rid of that. And I'm very aware that I'm doing it next to a little image of a guy getting punched in the face. Uh, there, uh, you know, there's, there's a conflict there. And, and I think, you know, for a lot of us, maybe it's, it's not, something obvious like that, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of people sitting there going, get the fighting out of the game, but they got the Wendell Clark Jersey hanging in the back of the closet or the Bob Probert or whatever it is. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough for them. And I think it's also tough for a lot of the people who, for many of the right reasons, want to get this stuff out. That's all well and good, but you got to acknowledge what you're up against. You're going to uh, got to acknowledge how a lot of fans grew up with this game and how they still think of it. And look, there there is uh, a very large percentage of hockey fans, and I don't know if it's a majority, and I don't want to try to put a number on it, but it's a it's a high number who thought last night was absolutely great. There's a lot of fans out yeah. there, I guarantee you, who watched the beginning of that game and said, "Man, I have not enjoyed the NHL this much in a long time. This feels like it used to feel. This is great. I loved it." Now you can. Call those people knuckle draggers. You can call them Neanderthal. You can do whatever you want, or you can acknowledge that that they're out there. They're a big part of the audience. And okay, how do we how do we navigate these waters of of having a product that is safe and you know even ethical, but also understanding the the impact on the entertainment? And it's I, I don't envy the NHL for having to figure out how you how you thread that needle. At, at some point, maybe in the summertime, we'll we'll do a show where we come up with potential alternate Twitter handles for you. Okay. That seems like a summer show. Yeah. We might have to do that. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the Rangers and the firing of president, uh, John Davidson and general manager, Jeff Gordon. And I think, come on, like I see the people reporting that this had nothing to do with the, uh, the statement that the Rangers made earlier this week, uh, voicing their displeasure with the lack of supplemental discipline really handed out to Tom Wilson, but come on. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. There's no way that these two things aren't directly connected, right? I, that's where I started. I, I mean, I was like everyone. As soon as you saw that, you went, uh-oh, okay, something really hit the fan behind the scenes as far as uh, that, that whole statement or, or the Tom Wilson thing, whatever it was. But everybody who seems to know things keeps reporting that this is not related. I, it, it defies common sense, but... <laughs> Uh, you, you know, the first time I saw somebody report that I kind of rolled my eyes. And then the second time he thought, no, but I, I mean, I've seen three or four different people who I trust on this stuff have said, no, it, it's not related. So maybe not, I, I guess. I mean, the, the reports are that that when that statement came out from the Rangers that we've really never seen anything quite like that before, where a team has come out and said the head of the Department of Player Safety should not have that job anymore. Um, it, I, I guess it, it probably should have clued us in that something was up when there was no name attached to that. It, it wasn't, you know, like John Davidson's a guy 
who has a ton of credibility around the league. And he has a ton, his, his, his reputation is uh, really pretty, pretty immaculate around the league. So if, if he had put his name on that and he said, you know what, I'm going to be the new spokesperson for saying that we need some change. That would have, that would have meant something. The fact that there wasn't a name on it, maybe should have tipped us off that, that it wasn't there. And, and from everything we've heard, John Davidson, uh, Jeff Gordon didn't, uh, didn't know this statement was going out, probably didn't support it. It came from ownership. Um, I, I still, I still can't imagine, even if this was already a decision that James Dolan had made, even if this was unrelated, it was just all on performance. I can't imagine that the events of this week weren't the tipping point to make it happen right now, because otherwise there's no, re- you don't do this in between the Monday and the Wednesday games. Um, it, it, because you know, people are going to make that connection. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there were a few phone calls. Maybe there was a few, Hey, what the hell is this statement? What, what are you doing? Um, and, and maybe that just becomes the final straw. Um, but I, I gotta say it's, it's bizarre because I don't understand. I, I think Jeff Gordon's one of the best GMs in the league. And I don't understand how you fire a, a team president less than two years after you hired him. Uh, because I I'm sitting there from the outside, looking at the Rangers rebuild saying, Seems like it's going pretty well to me. Exactly. I think all of us, like again, if you truly felt like this was an issue with uh, the direction of the team, just wait a week and make yeah. the change after the regular season. And I, I still think people would be like, well, that seems odd, the timing. But this one just makes it seem like it's obvious. That's all. And I think a lot of Rangers fans are feeling like, you know, uh, you know, James Dolan always has his hands in the New York Knicks and the Rangers are like the, ah, I don't really worry about them. And they mm-hmm. feel like this is James Dolan having his hand running the Rangers. Like he runs the Knicks. This is the, this is the nightmare scenario. If you're a Rangers fan, because this has been the thing all along is, uh, it, you know, James Dolan, they, he, he owns the Rangers. He owns the Knicks. If people aren't basketball fans, uh, James Dolan's reputation as an NBA owner is like in the Melnick zone. I think we could say <laughs> that he is considered, just one of those meddling owners and he always messes up. And every time there's all sorts of controversies with the Knicks and players getting kicked out of games and and just the Charles Oakley thing. It's, it's just ridiculous. And yet same guy owns the Rangers and hasn't been an issue. And in fact, when we did our, uh, we did that draft last summer where we got everyone together at, at the athletic and we picked cities and players and GMs and coaches and owners and, you know, it, uh, I, a few of us were like, is anyone going to take James Dolan? And then people were like, yeah, you know what? James Dolan's a great hockey owner. He's got money. He stays out of the way. He hires good people and he lets them do their job. And there's a lot of Rangers fans who have never had an issue with this guy. And yet there was always that kind of cloud hanging over it of, okay, what if the Knicks version of James Dolan shows up at the Rangers someday? And and I don't know, maybe the Knicks are finally good this year. Maybe this is, you know, maybe he's feeling it a little bit now and thinking, okay, I got the magic touch back, but this was a very Knicks type of move from the owner who, who has not been that guy um, for years with the Rangers. If, if he's run out of patience for this rebuild already, I don't like where this is headed. So as we, as we record this podcast on Thursday, we still don't know what uh, the fine will potentially be to the Rangers for that inflammatory statement. And we also don't know what Pavel Buchnevich might get for a cross-check to Anthony Mantha on Wednesday night. And those are kind of two things that people are waiting to see. What's the league going to do in light of them going really soft on Tom Wilson? How do you think they come down? What's your best guess here, Sean, as you look at the potential to find the Rangers for the statement and Pavel Bushnevich's cross-check to Anthony Mantha. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, they, they, I think we can assume that they'll get fined and it'll be a big fine. There, there is not a maximum allowable uh, fine under the CBA of uh, $5,000 uh, when it comes to, to finding teams. And uh, I, I imagine we'll see something in probably the six figures. Uh, and, you know, it, James Dolan is anywhere as smart as he thinks he is. He he knew that was coming, and he probably has the uh, has the checkbook out and ready to go. And, and maybe he'll figure it's money well spent. But uh, the league typically does not uh, view this sort of stuff favorably. Uh, I think it's safe to say they 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 don't love it when you criticize behind closed doors, but they really don't love it when you put it out in the open like that. And uh, um, I imagine that. Uh, 
we'll we'll see an impact on that. And I would love to know even more so than whatever the dollar value is. I'd love to know what those conversations behind <laughs> the scenes look like. What, what was that first phone call from Gary Bettman or whoever else um, when when they saw that statement? As far as as far as Buchnevich, look, he should get suspended. He cross checked a guy right in the mouth, like right up high, and uh, that's that's absolutely a play that I mean, if if it's if it's any other set of circumstances, you see that and you go, yeah, that's two games, of course it is, and uh, you, you don't even you don't even really think twice about it. Uh, but because of the whole Tom Wilson mess, because the league went light on him, uh, it now it's this is just setting up. A, I mean, we know how this is going to play out. Rangers fans will be furious when this decision comes down. I mean, we've seen just this morning that he's getting a hearing, so that implies that there will be a suspension. It, it, there almost always is uh, when there's a hearing. Uh, and, and you can imagine what the reaction is going to be like. There's going to be people saying, you know, Tom Wilson gets nothing, but you know, the, the guy that Tom Wilson attacked yep. is the only guy who ends up getting suspended from the whole thing. Uh, but, uh, but he should be because you can't, you know, I know, I know the Mantha was kind of following him around, giving him the stick tap a few times. I know the Mantha was kind of skating towards him, but you can't, you can't just put a stick into a guy's face that, that, that has to be a suspension. Um, and it, and it would be without question in any other circumstances, but because the NHL screwed this up from the start on Monday night, they, they put themselves in a situation where they're going to look bad no matter what they do. Here's my issue with the Tom Wilson thing is, you know, he's a serial offender, repeat offender. And I think when you, it, there needs to be a, an implementation of some sort of sliding scale, meaning Tom Wilson got, he got seven games, right? When he, uh, he hit, uh, Yep. Was it Brandon Carlo from the Bruins? Seven yep. games? Okay. That has to be the, the starting point for the next suspension. Otherwise, if you go five games, one game, nine games, $5,000 fine, there really isn't, like, the whole point of suspensions, okay, is to deter future actions from occurring. It's, people think it's to punish the action. It really should be to deter future actions from occurring. And this is the issue I have. Tom Wilson doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. That's it. He does not get to live in the gray area. You don't get to look at a Tom Wilson hit and be like, well, I don't know. No, there's no more gray area for him. It's over. It's either black or white. And the $5,000 fine to me, what bothered me, Sean, is there was an acknowledgement that he did something wrong, but it didn't, wasn't yep. that bad. It's like, that's the problem I have with it. it it's, it, it, it really did feel like the fine was almost worse than if they had done Yes. Nothing. If they had just said... Hey, you know what? It was a scrum. Stuff happens on the ice. He deserved the penalties he got, but that was sufficient. And I, I think people would still be furious. We'd still be having a lot of the same argument, but the fine almost made it worse because the fine, you're right. It did say that this is this this did rise to the level of supplemental discipline, but just not a suspension. Uh, I, you know, I would disagree with you in the sense that I, I think the fact that he had seven games before, I wouldn't have had a problem with them suspending him for two or three games. Or I don't think it, I don't think that has to be the new minimum. And I think if anything, that might contribute to why some of these guys don't get the second suspension because the league is sitting there going, oh, geez, if we, if we get him again, we, we got to hit him with seven games. So, and that's too much. So we drop it back down to zero. My, the thing with Tom Wilson is, and man, I feel like we put too much emphasis on the makeup of the guys who are in the Department of Player Safety, especially George Peros. The fact that he's a former tough guy, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are like, "Oh, he just he he loves the violence, he loves this and that." No, he doesn't. George Peros is a very smart guy, but him being the player that he was, I'm sure that he has been in a position many times in his career where he felt like he was getting singled out based on reputation by officials, by whoever, you know, that, that situation where everybody's in the scrum and the ref comes over and he says, you got 10 minutes, get out of here. And you're sitting there going, well, I didn't do anything. You're giving me that penalty because of who I am, because of my reputation. And that's probably very frustrating for those sorts of players who have lived through it. And I just feel like they're almost bending over backwards with a guy like Tom Wilson to give him the benefit of the doubt and to make sure that they're not, doing that to him and they're not punishing him based on what he's done in the past. Hey, every incident should be a fresh set of eyes. Every incident should be, you know, we start from square one and we figure out the the logic of the department of player safety is, as we all know by now is 
They don't take any of the, they're, they're not supposed to take anything in the past into account as far as figuring out, is this suspendable? If you decide it's a suspension, then the number can go up based on who the player is, but it doesn't affect whether something should be a suspension or not. And I actually don't mind that. If we're talking about, you know, a, a, a high hit and you're sitting there going, did, did, did he make contact with the head? Was the head the principal point of contact? You got to look at that. And you got to say either yes, it was or no, it wasn't. And just because it's Tom Wilson, if if Tom Wilson throws a hit that's high, but you look at the tape and you say I don't think it did make contact with the head, then Tom Wilson shouldn't get you know a close enough consideration. He should get the same ruling that anyone else would get, which is no, that was that was a clean hit. It's when you get to situations like this where intent suddenly plays a role, and now it's about okay. Was that just a scrum or was he actually trying to sl- slam that guy down to the ice? Was he actually trying to hurt Uchnevich? Was he trying to hurt Artemi Panarin? Was, or was this just a guy defending himself and, hey, somebody jumped on his back and he didn't even know who it was? This is where I think you absolutely have to say, you know what? We don't have to pretend this is just an average player and we're trying to read his mind. This is a player with a history of trying to hurt people. This is a player with a history of stepping over the line. And, and, you know, even in that game, he was mad at the refs before that shift. He's, he goes off, he's flexing like an idiot in the penalty box. Like he clearly was in the red for a big chunk of that period in that game. And we saw the result and, and, you know, people on a play like this, people say, well, what if it was Sidney Crosby? What if it was Connor McDavid? What if it was, well, it wasn't, it was Tom Wilson. And those guys don't have a history of injuring fellow players. And he does. So this is the one area where I would have liked to have seen the NHL say, no, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. If we're trying to figure out if you hit a guy from behind or not, we will give you the benefit of the doubt. But we're not going to do it on this because we're not going to sit here and pretend you're not a player who does this and tries to hurt guys and makes that part of your game and does it often. And so when we see you do it, we don't have to sit around and pretend like we're confused about what we're seeing. We're going to hammer you for it. Uh, and it should have been a suspension. And I don't think it should have been a long record-setting suspension, but give him two or three or four games. At the very least, that gets him out of last night's game and you avoid the whole circus by doing that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, every week we do a little segment called Granger Things with Jesse Granger. It is presented by our exclusive betting partner with The Athletic, Bet MGM, Jesse Granger. We got to ask you, Sean and I have just spent a good chunk of the uh, podcast talking about the uh, theatrics at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday night. Got to ask you your opinion on that because it's been the dominant uh, topic of discussion in the league. Like, how do you see a story like that? And, and Sean and I discussed, like, is that good for the game, bad for the game? Like, where do you come down on what happened on Wednesday at, uh, at Madison Square Garden? Yeah, I think we've come a long way in the last few years in terms of the way we view that. Um, I think just not that long ago, it would have been viewed as very good for the game in terms of like the police, the players are policing themselves and that whole thing. Um, But I think we've kind of gone away from that a little bit. And I think I have too. Um, I think I would rather the people who actually are supposed to punish the players uh, punish them and then they don't have to do this. And and you're right. It was it was an old school night of hockey last night. Um, I got to catch the beginning of the, the Rangers Capitals game and it was and all that craziness. Uh, they couldn't fit all the guys in the penalty box. And then I switch over to Vegas, Minnesota. And the first period in Minneapolis was very similar. Not quite as out of hand, uh, 100 penalty minutes. But it was the, the, these teams, the playoffs are starting to get here. Um, I don't know if you guys feel it in the games you're watching, but certainly the ones 
Vegas has played amongst between Colorado and Minnesota. Um, the the playoffs are are pretty much here, and and these games are starting to get a playoff feel to them, and and obviously that chippiness after the whistle comes along with that. Uh, Jesse, I cover the Ottawa Senators. There's been no playoff feel around here for four years. <laughs> Maybe the national games you watch, though, Ian. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But hey, listen, in Granger Things every week when we have you on, we kind of look at the the sport through, uh, you know, obviously a betting lens and looking at some of the the favorites and the underdogs. And now we're on the doorstep of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So uh, let's talk a little bit about good odds to win the Stanley Cup. Where's a good place to put your money? And let's use our pal, Dom Luce-Chichen, who is our analytics guru at The Athletic. Let's use some of his uh, numbers, Jesse. Let's put them up against some of the odds you're seeing uh, at places like uh, MGM. And let's talk about where would be a smart place to put some money heading into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So for those listening, what I did here was I, I took the Stanley Cup odds to win the Stanley Cup and every money line odd you can translate into an implied odd, meaning, for example, Colorado's the favorite right now. They're plus 450 to win the Stanley Cup, four and a half to one. Um, that implied odd is 18.18% um, according to the sports books. They have an 18.18% chance of winning the Stanley Cup this year. Then you look at Dom Lucision's odds, like you just said, which, by the way, I think. The reason I chose his partially because he's with The Athletic, but also his odds have been the most accurate over the last few years. Um, you will not find an analytics number that is a better indicator of future success than Dom. So I think they're a good one to put up against it. He has the avalanche with the highest odds in the NHL, 24% odds. So that is a plus 5.82% difference if you're betting on them, meaning according to the analytics, the avalanche have a 24% chance. Your implied odds at the sports book are only 18%. So you're actually getting almost 6% value on the avalanche, um, which is great, but it's not the best in the league. Um, if you look up and it's crazy because I go up to you guys and I, and I feel like I'm always praising Toronto on this podcast. And, and I assume that there are a lot of listeners from Toronto. So every time I come on here, they probably love me, but it's the, the analytics are pointing that direction. Again, um, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a better difference in the analytical odds to the implied odds of any team in the entire NHL. And I think that's mainly because of the massive gap between Toronto and the rest of that division. When you look at the odds, um, you go to Dom's odds. Toronto has an 18% chance of winning the Stanley Cup, according to his odds. That is the second best behind only Colorado. The next closest team, according to Dom's odds, is Edmonton at 2%. So there is a massive 16% gap between them. And I think that once you start looking at the way these playoffs are formatted, and it's like, I think you're just trying to figure out which team is most likely to make it out of their division. So you look at Toronto, they're only plus 800 at the sports book. That's an implied odds of 11%. So you're getting almost seven full percentage points of value betting on Toronto. It's interesting that there are only four teams out of all the teams that have not been eliminated yet. There are only four teams with positive value um, it, when comparing them to Dom's odds. So as I mentioned, Toronto's number one, Colorado's number two, Tampa Bay Lightning are number three at plus 4% odds um, of value. And then Boston is just a little bit over uh, overvalued, undervalued by the sports books at 1%. So you can, you can get some value betting on the Boston Bruins. And what I found interesting about that was it's basically the four teams with the best odds, according to Dom, um, in each division, or sorry, the one team in each division with the best odds, according to Dom, has positive value. Every other team, you're getting negative value if you bet them at the sports book right now, according to the analytics, um, based on the underlying numbers and their, their past success. So then I flipped it around and I said, okay, who, who are the teams that you're getting the absolute worst value on? And the one that sticks out and it's no one is even close to it. And it's it's actually doesn't come as that much of a surprise because the Golden Knights have been shaded by the books since they came into the league. That obviously has something to do with the team plays in Vegas. Most of the casinos are in Vegas. Uh, the fans love to bet them out here. So they kind of the, you're never getting good value in betting on the Golden Knights. Um, anytime you bet on the Golden Knights, you're, you know, you're getting not great value. But this is actually um, I was surprised by how drastic the difference was. You look at the third least valuable team you could bet on is the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're getting minus three percentage points in value. The second worst is the Washington Capitals. You're getting minus five percentage points in value. The Golden Knights, you're actually getting minus 9.38% percentage points of value um, if you bet on them, simply because according to Dom's odds, the 
sportsbook odds are way off on Vegas. They've got BetMGM currently has Vegas as plus 550, which is the second best odds in the entire league to only Colorado. But according to Dom's odds, they only have 6% chance of winning the Stanley Cup. And that's because the Colorado Avalanche have been so dominant. Their Corsi percentage, their expected goals percentage, their scoring chance share is just so high this season. And they have just been rolling through these teams in the Western Division that his odds don't give Vegas much of a chance at beating them. Um, I'm curious if you guys have any teams that you were wondering about or anything like that. Um, I, I have all the numbers right in front of me so we can go over anything if you guys want. Well, I mean, if, if, if we're talking about Colorado and Vegas, I, I guess I want to know about Minnesota because man, I I'm, I'm like everyone else. I'm already fast forwarded to that Vegas, Colorado round two matchup. But boy, Minnesota looks like they're going to have something to say about that. They definitely do. Um, they they have given the Golden Knights major, major issues. And the Golden Knights were finally able to overcome that last night. Um, they had lost five in a row to them this season prior to that. And and they last night was their fir- only their second win in Minneapolis in their franchise history in four years. And it's both of them came in overtime. So they have yet to beat the Minnesota Wild in regulation in Minnesota. Um, Minnesota's odds there. I mean, if you're looking for a long shot to bet and, and to be honest, you don't even need Minnesota to to win the Stanley Cup. If you were to bet them to win the Stanley Cup to make money, because once they get if they could somehow beat Vegas and Colorado and get out of that, you're in phenomenal position to hedge and, and win some money. They are plus two thousand right now, which is an implied odds of four point seven six percent chance um, according to Dom they've got three percent chance so you're it's minus 1.76 value so you're not getting positive value like I mentioned there are only four teams with positive value but it's hard to get positive value while betting on sports um, <laughs> if, if yeah. you were to go through every day and look at the odds and then compare them to the implied odds you're not it's hard to get positive value so I think Minnesota is a team that is pretty close to 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 the correct value um, in terms of the implied odds. So if you're looking for a long shot, the wild aren't a bad one. I'm disappointed that Dom isn't backing his favorite team. Yeah, uh, I know. The odds, yeah, his, strongly. his model clearly does not go along with his brain. <laughs> Maybe his heart. Hey, I, I want to ask you about the, uh, I guess it's the uh, central division. I always have to remember what these divisions are. And I'm looking at that and I'm really curious. I, I, because it's funny that you say that Vegas and Colorado have the, because it's kind of a two horse race there. That central division's a three horse race. And I'm curious uh, what the numbers look like uh, amongst Carolina, Florida, and Tampa. Yeah, it's funny because you you mentioned two horse race, Carolina and Tampa and Carolina's, I mean, considerably ahead of Tampa right now in the standings. They're most likely going to get home ice for that division in the playoffs. But According to Dom's odds, it's really a two-horse race. I mean, Tampa Bay has 16% chance to win the Stanley Cup, which is the second highest behind, or sorry, the third highest behind Colorado and Toronto. Carolina has 8%, which is not bad. That's right behind them. But then Florida's only at 1%. They, he actually has Nashville and Florida both with 1% chance uh, to win the Stanley Cup. You look at their odds at the sportsbook, um, Tampa mine, or plus 750. They're, they're right up there with Colorado and Vegas in terms of favorites. Carolina, right behind them plus 800. Florida plus 2200. So I just told you Minnesota's plus 2000 to win it. Florida is a longer shot than Minnesota. Um, I've watched both of them play. I think Florida's a better team than Minnesota is just watching them, just the eye test, watching them on TV. Um, But they've got to get through Carolina and Tampa, who are two really, really good teams. So I think, like I mentioned earlier, these odds aren't necessarily as predicated on like Here's the order of the best teams in the league. One, two, three, four. It's more which teams have the easiest route to get to the Stanley Cup and have the least um, chance of getting tripped up. And that's why Toronto ends up number one in the value, because according to the analytics, there's like there's just not much to compete against them. Whereas, like you said, in the other divisions, it seems like there are at least two powerhouses per division. Excellent. Hey, listen, Jesse, as always. We love the visits, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, once we get the Stanley Cup playoffs underway, kind of picking your brain. I think what's great about this, too, is even for there's some people that obviously like to put money down, but this is is great information uh, for hockey pools. As, as people start to think about playoff pools and should I draft four people from the Panthers? Should I draft four from the, you know, th- th- this is great information. So uh, it's uh, always great to have you. And, uh, and that would be a great uh, thing for us to focus on uh, here in the next couple of weeks is kind of gearing up the playoffs. Enjoy the week and we'll get you again uh, next week. Definitely talk to you guys then. Thanks, Jesse. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. 
It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right. Uh, I'm sure, Sean, you must have been just full of optimism when you hear Jesse Granger say the Toronto Maple Leafs have the easiest path to at least get to the Final Four. I, I tell you, man, the Leafs bandwagon is growing. Jesse's on board. You joined us a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's this right. is uh, it's It's <laughs> grab your seat now. We're starting to get into overflow. Okay, so obviously, look, I think uh, one of the things that the Leafs might have to deal with at some point might be Connor McDavid if they uh, lock horns in the playoffs. McDavid's quest for 100 points uh, in a 56-game season took a step in the right direction uh, this week, and it feels like now, Sean, it feels like it's going to happen, right? Does, don't you feel yeah. like McDavid's getting to 100 points? It, it, it feels like it's going to happen, and you know, I was... Uh... I I was a little bit worried for a while. I was looking at it going, geez, you know, Edmonton, they're going to be locked in in their playoff spot. Are they maybe going to rest him? Is he going to miss out on 100 points because they sit him down for a game or two? At this point, they probably could do that. And he's still, I mean, he is just on fire so much that uh, it's it's starting to feel like like it's 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 a done deal, which is just yet another testament to how good this guy is because what other player in the league would you look at and say, Oh yeah, seven points in four games or whatever it is. Yeah, no problem. That's, that's a sure thing. But with him, it just feels like a slam dunk. Yeah. And and people are saying this is one of the most impressive statistical seasons in NHL history, right? If you get to a hundred points in 56 games in this era, it's, it's amazing. Now I want to throw this out at you and let me, uh, I, I don't know if this is a future down goes Brown column idea or just, a, just like an anecdote. Okay. What is it about the greatest offensive seasons in the modern era me, uh, resulting in zero playoff success? Okay, so hear me out. Gretzky's 92-goal season is the same year the LA Kings shocked uh, the Oilers. Okay, so they get out. Gretzky's 215-point season is the same year Steve Smith puts it into his own net. Mario Lemieux's 199-point season, they don't, I think they got to the second round and got knocked out by Philly. Mario Lemieux's unbelievable back from cancer, might be the greatest, uh, you know, points per game, all that stuff. They lose on the David Volek goal. Bobby Orr's best season, they get shocked by Ken Dryden. Like, is it weird? Or, like, is it, is, is there anything, to, any connection here that the greatest Offensive seasons in the history of the NHL by the greatest superstars seem to have no traction in the postseason. And you're bumming me out by mentioning that because I I I'd never put that together. But yeah, you're right. I mean, look, it's it, you're you make the playoffs. You got a one in sixteen chance of winning the Stanley Cup. We we should expect that the 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 teams with the best players and and best offensive performances are going to lose more often than not. But yeah, you would think at least a few of those. Uh, would flip over into Stanley Cups. I hey, if you want to go old school, this is this is your opportunity. It's the whole ah, you know, defense is what wins, and those flashy offensive guys with the numbers. Um, maybe it is that, uh, or or maybe in, in at least some of the cases, it's guys are putting up big numbers because they don't have as much of a supporting cast as they should have. Maybe there's that lack of depth. I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting though. Now I now I'm gonna have to go back and find some of those big. Uh, big statistical years that did result in a Stanley cup make me feel a little bit better. I, I know Gretzky had a few with the, uh, in the Oiler days, but uh, yeah, you're right. Most of the, most of the really great ones that we think about did not end uh, with the championship. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I get And it could just be a coincidence, but I, I it is, it is weird. It's, it's almost like there's that one uh, stat where like, the, the the teams that have had the best regular season record in every single sport have never won the championship in that year. Like the Detroit Red Wings in 95-96, best season ever in terms of points, they didn't win the cup. The New England Patriots in the NFL had the best 16-0 mm -hmm. uh, season. They didn't win the Super Bowl. The Seattle Mariners, I think, uh, 2001, I want to say, uh, had an unbelievable year, then got beaten out by a allegedly roided up Roger Clemens in the ALCS. And then uh, mm -hmm. the NBA, uh, who could forget uh, 
Golden State, right? Was it not Golden State that went whatever it was, and then LeBron beat yep. them in the final? Like, so anyway, yep. sometimes it's weird. Like you, you see these things. Like obviously, you would want to have the best regular season record. Nobody's saying don't have the best regular season record. It's just weird that sometimes this dominance in the regular season just doesn't seem to translate into the postseason. And and you know what? We we just uh, I, uh, this connects to. A bigger thing, which is I I feel like as sports fans, we don't really get our heads around how low the odds are that your team's going to win in any given year. I, I'm willing to bet that segment we just had with Jesse where, you know, people are listening to him talk about these great teams and say, yeah, 20% chance, 10% chance, 5% chance. You're sitting there going, wait a second, this team's one of the best teams in the league. What do you mean they have a 5% chance or a 10% chance? But you know what? That's it, it, the numbers add up to what they add up to, and when you've got, especially in in you know a league like the NHL uh, where there's so much parity, but but really in any in any league, uh, there's a lot of teams vying for these these titles, and the numbers get low. I, I know I've done a thing a couple of times now where I've taken all the teams in the league and I've said who's got the best chance of winning a Stanley Cup in the next five years, and and what the way I did that is I took. I said, okay, five years, I'm giving myself 500 percentage points, and I got to divide it up among all of these teams. And it's amazing how quickly you run out of points. I mean, you're sitting there going, I mean, what are the odds that the, you know, that the Lightning are going to win in the next five years? Well, they're really good. I mean, that's a 50%, 60%, 70%. I mean, Golden Knights, okay, they're probably 50%. Next thing you know, you're three or four teams in. You've used up all your odds, and you're going, I, you know, I got nothing left. It feels like we like to think that every team's got a 10% chance. It's a 32-team league. Every team, if all else being equal, there's a 3% chance in any given year. You make the playoffs, you're now you're up to like 6%. I feel like it's almost a defense mechanism that we don't get our heads around that because, man, we'd all be pretty depressed if you realize that every single year there's a 97% chance it's going to end badly for your team. Yeah, that's why the CFL is great. You know, yes. one in nine chance of winning the the, the championship. Yeah. All right, uh, let's open up the mailbag here. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, emails coming in. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com is where you can reach us. Paul in Winnipeg writes in. Hey guys, really enjoying the show, especially uh, Sean's ability to research and recall obscure trivia. Uh, like talking about last week, the Islanders coming back to potentially win uh, a couple of playoff series from down 0-3. Uh, therefore, I'm surprised you guys omitted the fact that uh, when talking about 49 goal seasons in NHL history, that Gordie Howe was stuck at 49 goals in the 1952-53 season. And in the season finale, they went head-to-head with the Montreal Canadiens and his great rival, Rocket Richard, who at the time held the record of 50 goals in a season. As Paul writes into us, Sean, he says, as the story goes, Gordie Howe needed one goal to tie Rocket Richard's record to to break it. Montreal Detroit played each other, and the Habs absolutely shadowed Howe all night long. Game ended up one-to-one, and after the game, Canadiens head coach, Dick Irvin Sr. held up Richard's arm on the ice in front of the Detroit fans to boast that Rocket Richard was still, in fact, the goal-scoring champ. Uh, pretty cool story that, uh, you know what, I'll be honest, I, don't, I, I didn't really know about this story. Yeah, no, and neither did I. That's, that's why I didn't mention it, but I, I, I love the story. It's, uh, in, in fact, I don't even want to dig into it and find out uh, how much truth there is to it because he, the way he told that uh, uh, that's, that's fantastic. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things about Gordie Howe. Now, granted, he played in an era where the, the seasons were shorter. Gordie Howe never had a 50 goal season in, in his entire career. That 49 was his, uh, uh, his career high. So, uh, I mean, just, just one of those weird quirks of history that, uh, a guy who was, uh, for, for a long time, the all-time leading goal scorer in NHL history um, he had on, on the list of Detroit Red Wing 50 goal seasons, Ray Shepard is on the board and Gordie Howe is not. <laughs> uh, we, we have a couple of other emails coming in here. Jesse writes into the show. Last week, we talked about side hustles for hockey players. Remember, I said Al Secord is, uh, you know, was a pilot. I, what, what did you mention again? I can't remember. Yeah, and I had uh, Jim Schoenfeld's music oh, career. Of course, yeah, yeah, Jim Schoenfeld's music career. Well, speaking of music careers, uh, Jesse writes in, I'm disappointed, Ian, you didn't mention Mika Zibanejad doubling as a DJ and a producer. He's uh, actually performed at some Swedish music festivals, 
under the name DJ Zbat. And listen, I that was totally I I obviously knew that, so I just totally forgot about it. Uh, in fact, when Zibanejad got traded out of Ottawa in 2016, there was a narrative that they tried to to say that you know what. That guy cares too much about music. He's not committed enough to hockey. So unfortunately, I know all about the DJ Z-Bad story, Sean. Yeah, I, I love that they they run him out of town for being a DJ. And then who do they hire as the new coach? DJ. DJ, yeah. yeah. I guess uh, maybe that's it. Maybe Ottawa's got to have one DJ in that dressing room at all times. Exactly. Okay, one last one here. George from Washington, D.C. writes in uh, and says... Uh, you guys did uh, discussions about potential changes to the Stanley Cup playoffs in the formats and got myself thinking about some changes that might mix things up. Specifically, George says, I started thinking about people who say that the NBA's 2-3-2 format in the finals is actually advantageous for the lower-seeded team. So uh, here's my idea, and I admit it's not maybe logistically feasible. How about the team that is the higher seed gets to choose the order of its home games. So I know the NHL would probably stick with the 2-2-1-1-1 format to avoid taking any risk, but what would you guys pick if you were a higher seeded team and you had to choose the way that the games were played out? That comes in from George from Washington, D.C. So again, just so people know, the 2-3-2 format is the team with the better record, you host game one and two, then the the lower seeded team, they actually host games three, four, and five, and then games six and seven, if necessary, go back to the higher seeded team. And the NHL has dabbled with this, Sean, yep. back in the nineties. They did. They they brought that in. Uh, that was one of Gary Bettman's first kind of changes. Uh, they did bring that in, and the the logic has always been that it it helps with the travel, and it was especially the the case. Uh, back in in the '90s, where with the, the way the conferences were set up, you still had some Eastern teams that could play Western teams, and the rule was that if 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 that if one of those matchups happened, uh, that you could go to a two three two format. And in fact, you saw that with the the Leafs one year they played San Jose, and then they played Vancouver, and uh, and those series were were, were played two three two. And the downside of it, or at least what would be perceived as the downside of it, came to pass in that that Leafs Canucks series because the Leafs were the home team. Uh, in theory, had home ice advantage. They split the first two games in Toronto. They go to Vancouver. The Canucks win all three games, and that's it. Series over. You don't get to come back, even though you were, uh, you know, ostensibly supposed to have home ice advantage. Uh, the other team gets more home games than you do, and uh, that's part of the reason why I suspect you'd see some teams. Uh, not not want to go down that road. But the other piece of it was the NHL did make it an option uh, for teams to, uh, for, for the home team to start on the road and to play those three games at home. And I, I'd have to go back and dig into this because I, I mentioned this in a piece I wrote a little while ago. And I said, you know, they, they made the option available, but nobody chose it. Nobody wanted to start on the road. You're always going to start a playoff series at home. Uh, and p- some people pointed out to me that that actually wasn't true and that it was uh, that there was one team and I feel like maybe it was Colorado. And, and I think there were circumstances around it. It wasn't a strategic decision, but that that they actually did choose to start a playoff series on the road. Uh, but I don't think you would see very much of it. I, I think you'd see GMs or whoever was making the decision. They they want to start at home. You want to get off to a good start. Uh, and And I think travel aside, which is a consideration. You, the preferences for that two two one 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 because you you don't want to get into a situation where, oh, we only got one win in, in our home our two home games. Now we got to go on the road, and we know we might not be coming back. Yeah, I, you know what? I I have no recollection of um, a team deferring the first two home games, but I'm sure, like like you said, maybe somebody uh, somebody remembers that happening back in uh, the day. Speaking of back in the day, that's how we like to wrap up our show sean with a little this week in hockey history and of course as we move into the month of may most of these are playoff related let's go back to may 4th 2009 uh this is actually a game i covered i actually covered this series for sportsnet i was in the building uh in washington uh the afternoon it was an afternoon game uh alex ovechkin and Sidney crosby get matching hat tricks in a playoff game and you know i remember that sean because uh going into that series 
there was so much hype. I remember doing a story for for Sportsnet on this was the NHL's opportunity to have their Larry Bird Magic Johnson. Like this was going to be the start of a great rivalry. And look, they have met a bunch of times in the playoffs, but this is the signature moment in that they both had a hat trick. It was on national TV in the United States. It was a great series that ended up going seven games, but May 4th, 2009, Ovi and Sid with matching hat tricks. Yep. Fantastic game. One that I think most fans still remember. And this is, this is exactly what the NHL wanted. This is, this was the moment. And unfortunately it never, they were never really able to build on it. They just didn't, didn't get those matchups uh, as, and didn't get those moments when they did get the matchups. Cause at that, it, that was the game where it really felt like it because, you know, we've talked, I think in the past, how, you know, Gretzky and Lemieux never played in a, in a playoff series. And uh, there were other matchups that just, just never seemed to happen. And that was the one we did get caps and pens several times, but that was the one day where the, it really caught the magic. And it was, uh, it, 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 it was that, that perfect that, you know, we talk about making new fans. That was the sort of game where if you sat down going, okay, I'll check it. This Ovechkin guy, this Crosby guy, I'll check it out. That was the sort of game that would make you into a fan. Uh, and, uh, it, it, we didn't, didn't really get any encores at that level, but, uh, it, it, it did give us a moment that we really haven't seen with most of the other rivalries between two stars in this league. Yeah, and the Caps had a two nothing. They they won that was game two, if I'm if uh, memory serves me. Had a two nothing series lead, and then watched it evaporate uh, in in that series in uh, in in seven games. Also this week in hockey history, Sean, th- this is a name that I don't think enough fans know about and realize, and that's Reggie Leach. On this uh, this week, May 6, nineteen seventy six. Reggie Leach, Sean, ties a playoff record with five goals in a playoff game. And I believe he's the last guy to do that. I don't think anyone's got five goals in a playoff game since Reggie Leach is five. Like, is he one of the, like, least known, unknown, underrated? I don't even know what the word is. But, like, I feel like not enough people know who Reggie Leach was. Because when you think of the Broad Street Bullies, you think of Bobby Clark. Maybe you think of Bernie Perron. Maybe you think of Dave Schultz. And maybe you don't think about Reggie Leach if you're a casual hockey fan. Yeah. I mean, Flyers fans would say that, that they know him, uh, but uh, yeah, he, he is one of those guys where uh, it's, it's a little bit forgotten. And uh, you know, the, the five goal game, I mean, here's, here's, I'll give you the whole list of players who've scored five goals in a NHL playoff game. Uh, you, you tell me if you've heard of these guys, there's Reggie Leach. Uh, there's a uh, Daryl Sittler, probably heard of him. Uh, Newsy Lalone, uh, which we're going back a ways, but oh, if you're, one if of the, your nickname's the first Newsy, you yeah, know that that's yeah. in the 1920s. But the the first great superstar of the NHL, and then the only other two guys, uh, Maurice Richard and Mario Lemieux, pretty good company to be in. Uh, four Hall of Famers, uh, and then and then Reggie Leach. But the thing is, it's not like this is just like a Patrick Sundstrom situation where the guy just exploded for one game. Reggie Leach was a real good goal scorer. Reggie Leach had a 61 goal season, led the league. Uh, you know, if, if the rocket Richard trophy had existed back then he'd have one. And, uh, uh, and he scored a lot, uh, at, in around that had another 50 goal year, didn't have the long career, uh, and, and didn't really maintain those, those big, huge numbers, but this, he got close to 400 goals for his career. He was a real good player. Yeah. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Sean, he won that year that he scored the five goals. He won the con Smythe in a year in which the Flyers didn't win the cup. Yes. And, and I think might be the only time that that's happened as a skater uh, for a losing team as a skater. We've yeah. seen it with goalies, JSG gear, some other guys uh, where the, the goalie stands on his head and, and gets the con Smythe in a losing cause. But I think Reggie Leach is the only one to do it uh, when, uh, when losing uh, in the Stanley cup, uh, Stanley cup final, which also makes the flyers one of the very few teams that can say that they had three straight con Smythe winners because they had won the cup the two previous years and, and Bernie Perron had won it both years. You know, speaking of one game wonders, uh, you said, look, Reggie Leach isn't a one game wonder. Uh, he was a 60 goal guy. Uh, but also this week in NHL history, Sean, May 6, 2000, Andy Delmore becomes the first and only rookie defenseman to score a hat trick in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, I only remember Andy Delmore from this one. Like, I have no other yeah. recollection of Andy this Delmore. Is it. Right? 
This is it. Yeah, this is the the Andy Delmore Wikipedia entry is probably like ninety eight percent this uh, this game. Hey, it's great, man. It's it's part of what makes the playoffs uh, so much fun. Is uh, you get occasionally just those wild outlier games that uh, turn somebody into a hero, and it's uh, yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think at some point, and maybe again, maybe these are fun off season things to do. I we need to come up with like a starting lineup of one game wonders like, but like, like we, I don't know. We talked about Patrick Sundstrom last week, but Patrick Sundstrom had like a 92 point season. I don't know that he's a one, like he had one game where he exploded, but he was a pretty good player. Right. I'm talking about these Andy Delmores that come out of nowhere. And I'm going to give you a name here. And this is just off the top of my head. Okay. As a goalie. And I don't even know if this guy played in the playoffs. I don't know what this guy's story. Who do you remember Ray LeBlanc? Who's Ray LeBlanc? I do, yeah. What what is that guy's story? All I know is that he think he came in for one game. He was great, and then I think that's all he ever played in the NHL. He he didn't play much. I think wasn't he like a uh, a, a, an American goalie back in the days when that was (laughs) yeah that was that was rare. But yeah, no, he he it's yeah. There are guys up there. I call it call it the Sam Gagne All Stars, and we'll put that roster together. Oh yeah, I like that. The eight game. performance from sam Gagne. all right i listen sean this is uh, this has been a lot of fun as always hope you have a uh, a fantastic week uh coming up and we'll do this again uh, next thursday right on sounds good all right and thanks everybody for uh joining us we'll get you again as i just mentioned next week again the email address for us it is the athletic hockey show at gmail.com the athletic hockey show at gmail.com or you can drop us a voicemail 845-445-84 59. And if you're not a subscriber and reading our stuff, you can do so by joining us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. 